0: That was way too big to be Brett Favre's (laughs) dick. So, welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop
1: shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. This week, we'll be looking at some of the news from around the league and deciding that sometimes it's best to just give up on your hopes and dreams. A couple of teams that aren't going to be worth anything in the back half of this season. Then we're going to take a look at some of the games from last week. We're going to look at some of your questions, and then we're going to take next week's games and give our predictions. So hey guys, got Connor here, we've got Harry Hey man And we've got Fitz Hello And we're all in the house down in Dublin because we all had a bit of a, a session here for the for the Halloween break How's yourselves today lads? I think I'm just 90% wheat or like beer slash pizza slash <laughs> other things It's been uh, not the world's healthiest weekend, yeah. let's be honest No, it's been fun, it's been fun No, it was good crack, good crack So we had uh, costume parties, a day of Excessive NFL watching and uh now, now now a podcast. So uh it's a good way to spend
0: your Monday off, isn't it? Uh two days, two days of partying actually before that. So uh, yeah, it's been you know, it's it's been, it's, been, it's been a wild ride and uh Oh, this isn't gonna go well. <laughs> <laughs> oh my so we've got a few
1: bits of news to fly through first of all, I suppose. Um yeah, so we were chatting about this on Saturday night, I think it was. Santa Clara Stadium, the San Francisco 49ers Stadium, is now under dispute over their use of public funds, which is an interesting thing to happen given that there's currently public funds being raised for a potential new stadium in, uh, in, in Las Vegas. But Harry, you were the one who were telling us about this, so basically they've taken money and the government are now saying you need to sort this out or we're going to take the stadium back off you.
0: Yeah, so from what I understand of it, uh, the arrangement is, and obviously it's the case with the stadium obviously being partially taxpayer-funded, is that despite that being done, the Niners can't use taxpayer funds for any NFL-related activities. Now, taxpayer funds can be used for non-NFL-related activities, but in that case the city will get a uh, kickback in that at that point, so to try and recoup some of the money they spent on the stadium. So that's the agreement they have. The issue is that the city are claiming, after having done an audit, that the Niners are spending taxpayer funds on football-related activities. Now, it's not, I think, 100% clear what all of those are at the moment, but uh, I think the big one is reseeding the field after events, and the argument that the city are making is that that's connected to the event, and the Niners (coughs) are saying that that's actually a football thing because it's a football field. And you can see sort of both sides there, although there is interesting that the Niners' ownership just went ahead and did this and haven't actually gone and discussed this with the city, and the city seemed quite surprised to find this out. So, again, this Ched York running a franchise, what's going on there? its I assume that there's going to be some kind of settlement will end up being made in this kind of situation. You do not I don't think either of them really want to hit the nuclear button, and the city are just making a threat here to make sure they get their money back. But it will be interesting to see what happens if York, who is known for being somewhat headstrong, shall we say, and not perhaps making the best decisions in the world when it comes to, you know, PR and finances um, doesn't back down, and the city then follow through on their threat to reca- reclaim ownership of the stadium.
1: Yeah, it's like it's it's a it's a very weird situation because I don't think I don't think the city would e- would benefit either from owning a stadium unless they take it and then they lease it back to them or something. Or yeah, but I think it's a situation like if if they're like they're leasing
2: the stadium from the city uh, technically it's like a 40 year lease so yeah. in effect you know by the time that 40 years is up who knows what'll be happening it will probably be not worth much at all um there's a few other interesting twists though in this case like you know the city Santa Clara, did an audit but they like they, they didn't get some requested materials from the 49ers the 49ers haven't sent them some things i think they said they're going to send them later today but what they did send out to the 49ers was a press release saying <laughs> oh Look at all the great things that this like does in terms of economic activity. The public fund that was specifically in dispute here, like it's a specific public mm-hmm. fund that, that that's supposed to be for this particular uh, amenity and other amenities in the area. They say we've contributed X million to that, and that wouldn't be there without us. Um, so it kind of leads you to a situation where the forty nine are obviously opposite thing. And there's an additional. well, This is more conspiratorial or a, a, a less certain. Hey, we, we love been, conspiracies on this podcast. There's been talk yeah. that the like the 49ers or people associated with the ownership of the 49ers have been engaging in funding of uh, councilors or for people in Santa Clara city council who would be more pro 49ers that there's been some black money involved in trying
1: that's, to That doesn't seem all that much like a conspiracy theory is just that's how politics works in America. Seems like good business practice. To <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you know, like it, it is
2: considered like normal business practice from a certain case, but the fact that there's There was some specific money that people saw being tied to this particular issue. uh, It's kind of creating issues. I assume that, you know, these things are generally supposed to be done publicly. Of course, they're probably not. But there's a whole kind of, like, long-term issue here, and it'll be interesting to see if this goes anywhere. If I had to imagine, I think
1: Harry's right, some kind of settlement will be made, but... It could get pretty ugly if that doesn't happen. Yeah, like we'll see how they we'll see how they play it. They do seem to have gone for the let's fix this on a PR front rather
0: than on a legal front initially. So I did see actually speaking of conspiracies, my favorite conspiracy from this, and this is unlike what Ronan was talking about, which is uh, again sort of the thing. It's not good, but it's the kind of thing you kind of expect to happen when business and politics mixes. Uh, my favorite theory I saw on the internet was that uh, this is this is Mark Davis is doing. Because he wants to move the Raiders into the Santa Clara Stadium and make the Niners move to Las Vegas into the new stadium. Oh, my. it's a very, very convoluted. <laughs> thing. It's kind of compelling though, isn't it? Mm. Pretty big gamble, you know. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh my poor Wade Phillips got uh, got knocked around a little bit yesterday. I think it was Melvin Gordon ran into him uh, during the game, knocked him to the ground. He was taken away by medical staff uh, and then assessed. He's now you've been kind of cleared he's been released he's okay now but i think it was a bit uh, everyone's a little bit scared there for a moment so uh that, like is this is this a scenario of maybe they need to look at how they stack sidelines how they make sure people are kept safe there because you do have an issue of people coming off fields running in at high speed you see injuries happen to players coming off field into into bodies um, even Jamal Charles when he did his ACL two years ago was that he ended up off the side of the field and landing on top of one of the uh, down markers and just because it was lying on the side of the field they fell and tore his knee Wade Phillips is obviously okay but this is a scenario where a lot of these guys they're not in gear, they're not a lot of these coaches let's be honest they're not big enough to be professional football players so is this something that they're going to have to look at safety wise or is it just an unfortunate scenario?
2: It, 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 like when you do look at the sideline of an NFL game, or enti- the, around the entire like length of the NFL game, it is a bit of a circus right now. Like most, like a lot of other sports, particularly in Europe, would have a fairly clear one. Like the only people you would see out there is coaches in a very circumscribed area, and then stewards keeping people off the off the off the off the field of of play. So for me, like personally, yeah, like right now there are a lot of injuries here, and like the people who usually get screwed over are the people who are photographing or people who aren't even facing the field. In this case, like, Wade Phillips, it's just because he happens to be someone important to the NFL, like, people who are involved in the NFL, that has kind of highlighted something which probably should be looked at in that case. Of course, like, the coaches, like, no one will, no one can do it by themselves. So this is something that would probably have to be imposed by the league itself. In terms of, like, whether he should be down there in the first place, like, a lot of more uh, coordinators are moving upstairs anyway. For someone of his age, in the specific case, it might be a case that Wade Phillips maybe should give up the old-fashioned thing and, and head upstairs, I think, you know, considering his skills, I don't think it'll have too much of an effect, but these old-school coaches will probably be like, no, no way, I'm not
1: going up there, screw yeah. that. I need to look them in the whites of their eyes to motivate <laughs> them.
0: <laughs> it makes for good, uh, good television as well, when you do see them screaming on the sidelines, like well, mm. Bill O'Brien this week, obviously losing his shit oh, at all of yeah. his coordinators. Bill O'Brien go, was in grade form. Yeah, if he had to go upstairs to yell at his coordinators, it wouldn't have been the same. <laughs> no. But, you know, I, I think... Um, I think Rowan's right to an extent. I think we do actually see this on a weekly basis. You'll see photographers or security personnel getting absolutely cleaned out, particularly mm. around the end zone. But uh, the, the the issue is, is that a lot of it's just to do with, in, in that sense, it's just to do with the broadcast. Like, you have to have the guys there with the sound mics. Who, you have to have the cameras. You need that sort of... It would be very complicated to automate all of that and make that mechanized rather than, uh, yeah. rather than have people down there. So that's something to consider, but it's, I think that's a, it's a, very, it's a very difficult, practical thing to actually change. In terms of the coaches on the sidelines... You know, I can see why not just the old school guys, but some of the young guys well like to be down there. It's more the connection with the players, they trust their ability as sort of people managers or whatever. The big thing for me, actually, is looking at the material on the sidelines a lot of that is concrete we had a lot of problems in the old Ram Stadium in St. Louis with player, uh, I think there was a couple of seasons ago where two or three players suffered knee injuries as a result of going out of bounds slipping on the concrete and crashing into hoardings Reggie Bush I think was one of them yeah he was and suing them others. wasn't he yeah mm-hmm. so maybe the thing is to look at like actually okay if, if we accept that we can't necessarily get all these people off of there in the short term anyway look at like what's in place there and maybe just make it a area that's slightly less uncomfortable to come crashing down into yeah, and maybe have some kind of you know even maybe put a little bit of distance between the uh, sort of sideline area where the team and the coaches are and the pitch yeah that's going to put
1: a buffer zone in or exactly, it'll really. also
0: stop Mike Tomlin wandering on during kick returns but yeah no, I, th- I think changing that away from concrete is probably the, the biggest immediate thing the NFL can do to minimise this kind of thing happening because not only is it a softer landing it's also easier for a player it's very difficult for a guy in cleats to stop once they get onto a hard smooth surface yeah
1: but no, uh, so it's good and good news anyway. He's out of the hospital. He's he's doing fine from what we gather. So that's nice to see. And just a fun little piece of news will come into something a little bit later on. But uh, Josh Gordon has now exited rehab. We spoke about this on the podcast before. Uh, the NFL are just incredibly stupid and short sighted. And a guy who decides to check himself into rehab just to get his life together suddenly gets banned and in trouble again for trying to do the right thing. He's waiting for a reinstatement uh, meeting now with uh, with Goodell uh, to see about getting himself back in. He still has his rights owned by the Browns because while they were willing to cut him beforehand, they decided he doesn't count against our cap, against our numbers, so why would we give up on essentially a freebie? Um, so best of luck to him. We'll see how that goes, I suppose. Um... In terms of injuries, there was a few this week. Uh, We're recording a little bit earlier, so we don't have as much clarification on some of them. Uh, Denver, CJ Anderson's knee is kaput. He's gone to IR. He's gone for the season. We've seen decent production out of the backup that's there. Uh, Fitz, what's the impact of CJ Anderson being out?
2: Yeah, well, there's kind of been a debate uh, in Denver before this about whether CJ Anderson or Devontae Booker um, should have been the starter anyway. Like Devontae Booker, as you mentioned, has had some pretty good production he had a decent game this week against San Diego. Uh, I think, but of course, like in the, in modern NFL, they always try to, to have like a backfield committee or a lot of teams prefer to have a backfield committee. And I think losing a player of C.J. Anderson's like quality is always a loss. I don't think it's as big as a loss. And I think you saw during the offseason that the C.J. Anderson situation, that they don't perhaps value him as highly as some other teams did. They were kind of forced into it by, by circumstance during mm. the offseason. But I think it's definitely a loss for the team. This is a team that wins... Uh, primarily uh, off its defense, anyway, having uh, like having a road grader there who can burn the clock is important. But I think Booker should be able to do that adequately for them this season.
0: No, oh, of course. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting though that the he got for a large part of the game against San Diego, he got a very light workload, which I think is interesting. to say that Denver perhaps don't just trust him as much to be a volume back as they did with Anderson. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be something to track over the next few weeks whether or not he gets a heavier load. Because he did fumble again as well. Yeah, and they do have quite a strong stance against
1: that there. Um, next one up, uh, Seattle Bennett has now gone for knee surgery. They're expecting two to four weeks. Uh, this is kind of a potentially large piece missing here. He was a big difference maker for them uh, on that defence. What do you reckon, Harry? Uh, like, Can they survive the four weeks without him? Is this a team, given that they're currently repurposing tight ends and Basketball players who haven't played football since they were seven years old To play on this team Maybe, they, maybe they're one that can adapt to this kind of missing player
0: <laughs> Well I mean the adapting that they're doing on the O-line that you mentioned Hasn't been perhaps going quite that well <laughs> uh, So I think they'd rather not have to do that To quite the same extent on the, D- on the D-line as well Like Bennett's a, a fantastic player We know that he's probably the best uh, best lineman on that on that team. Uh, he brings a lot of his pass rush. He's also a good run stuffer. And he's also, like I know it's cliche, but he is one of those sort of locker room leader characters. He's a very outspoken, very vibrant kind of guy. And I assume he'll be the kind of guy that I'll still have down on the sidelines once, yeah. once he's able to be doing it. Well, there's nothing of help. else. They'll need him down there to occasionally calm down Richard Sherman. If <laughs> yeah, I <remember> well, <laughs> that's certainly a thing. But um, a concern for a Seattle team that's been a lot less consistent defensively than it has been in the past. And you do kind of Say like okay, they've got young players. You know they've got your Frank Clark's or whoever in there, but losing a guy like that will have an impact. So it'll be interesting to see now if teams are able to have a little more flexibility in how they scheme against Seattle's defense because they know they no longer have to worry about uh, about a guy like Bennett. Yeah, I think it's just that like you lose that element of
2: unpredictability. He's the most like one of the most flexible defensive linemen in the league. Can play anywhere along the line. I think when you lose that. Even though Cliff Averill and Frank Clark are having great seasons in terms of sacks and production, I think without Michael Bennett, that defence becomes a lot more predictable. Very good at the goal line,
1: apparently, but uh, more Mm. predictable overall. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Uh, Kansas City had a couple of injuries, uh, just two in particular to note. Uh, Alex Smith uh, went out with a concussion in the first quarter, uh, then returned, apparently it was a lacerated ear instead, so just bleeding face. Uh, But then... Now, that was that was on the basis of a very late hit, which I'm not happy about. But whatever. Uh, the second one, then third quarter, he was then hit again. Head uh, driven into the ground with a hand uh, at the end of a tackle. He was removed immediately into concussion protocol, so he's going to be week to week. Spencer Ware similarly was hit late in the game, uh, late late in a tackle. He was then taken off to the concussion protocol. Both of these guys are now week to week at the moment. We're not sure. Yeah, like obviously, downside to these Alex Smith and Spencer Ware are both playing quite well. Uh, the backups came in and worked quite well for them in the interim we've got backups that are used to the system so i don't expect it to be too bad i'd hope it's not for too long because i feel the ceilings with these players especially with alex smith is much higher than we have with our backups but um but yeah like
0: you know hopefully they might be back next week we don't have any real clarification on this so far so that's a concern. Also, you've got to really question some of the refereeing there. Like, the second hit on Smith wasn't even flagged. Yeah. Like, that was that was worrying that Indy were able to get away with playing the way they were. And you've got to, you've got to make sure that you come down on the first one, or they're going to keep doing it. Yeah, 100%. There's a, good, there's a good couple of them in that game as well, which
1: is just not great. And then, speaking of them, Indianapolis, Vontaze Davis, concussion, again, week to week. We're not sure on how long it'll be. Is it that much of an impact? He is quite old.
2: Yeah, but in that Indianapolis secondary, they have a severe lack of quality and they can't afford to lose players even if they are old and not quite what they were. Um, But I think the Colts in general have have big problems across the board, so I'm not sure how much this particular injury might... uh, Flip one game uh, one way or the other. In this case,
1: no, of course. I think I think that's it. It's it's similar. One of a, a team where while it's a loss, it's not that they are that close to winning all the games that they're in. I think so. It's not going to have as much of an impact. We we're having a look then because we had the Halloween theme on last week, and next week we're going to be doing our our mid season review. We kind of we're talking about a few teams. We're saying it's very hard to get through a lot of them, mostly because there are thirty two teams. but There is not thirty two relevant teams <laughs> uh, in the league at the moment. So we thought we'd just do a couple of eulogies here, just put the nail in the coffin of, of of three teams, have a quick chat about them, why they failed, what they might need to do later on, and uh, and whatnot. So we've taken one each. So, so I'll go to you first, Ronan. Uh, who have you taken? Yeah, so I'm going to talk about the San Francisco 49ers.
2: Obviously, a team which a few years ago was one of the best teams in the NFC. Um, built, built primarily off of, you know, like one of the better defense, if not the best defense in the NFC. But after a few years of coaching changes, bad management, poor drafts, losing players to free agency, you have what is effectively the Skeleton of the team. Now, in the offseason, they brought in Chip Kelly, Uh, And obviously Chip Kelly was someone who had a lot of hype three years ago, but obviously fell off the Philadelphia train. And honestly, the team has played as badly as we all expected. I don't think anyone expected this team to be good, but maybe even with those low expectations, they have actually been even worse than that. Now, there are some mitigating factors. They've lost uh, a fair few players, especially on the defense. Like losing someone like Navarro Bowman is a massive loss for a defense. He was actually playing quite well. But... When you look at this this roster, it's just depressing all over. Like your top wide receiver is Torrey Smith, and he hasn't really done anything while he's been in in San Francisco since he since he left uh, since he left the left the Ravens. Like the other wide receivers are nothing. Like they have Carlos Hyde basically and Joe Staley. That's about it on the offense. And then you have what is probably. I'm not sure if it's the most depressing because the Rams exist uh, <laughs> but it's certainly like I'll, I'll give it to them I'll say the most depressing QB controversy ongoing controversy this season with Colin Kaepernick basically you're looking at this team and it has basically the same kind of despair that they had last season like last season it was Jim Tomsula there was like so many disputes after losing Harbaugh. You kind of expected it to be a down season. They bring in Chip Kelly. You're like, okay, maybe Chip Kelly can revitalize this. Maybe they will make it exciting. Maybe it'll at least be interesting. But after having this like Ramsey and like winning like like a blowout win in week one, they have only been within one score in one game. Uh, every other game they've been blown out by more than one score, and it hasn't even been close. In reality, if you watch the game, they've been yeah. getting all the garbage time points. It's just they're a bad team. And they don't really have any hope. And it's like, maybe you fire Chip Kelly, maybe you fire Trent Balke. But you're like, in reality, whoever comes in, whatever they do, you have to fit this is like a two, three-year rebuild project at this point. They have some nice pieces there. As I mentioned, Carlos Hyde might be useful on that offense. On the defense, they got Buckner, they got Armstead. If they get Bowman back and he doesn't get injured, that might be something. But it's really hard to see where the hope is. For a team which was really which was really hoping that maybe they could see some signs
1: of five this year, but it really just looks like another lost season. Yeah, poor chaps So, well, you
0: know, best of luck, see you next September. <laughs> Harry, what about you? The team I want to look at is a team who are technically not dead yet because AFC South, but like realistically, even within the AFC South have been an enormous disappointment. And if they make the playoffs, I will be very, very, very surprised. So I think at this point, <laughs> it's probably fair to say that the season is over for the Jacksonville Jaguars. In the same way as San Francisco, a disappointing season, but I think even more so because I think while we knew San Fran were coming off one of the, like the worst seasons in a long time that they've had, we're going through a lot of chaotic things. In Jacksonville, it looked like things were moving in the right direction. They. You know, a few close losses away from being in playoff contention last season. Like the team was improving. They had a lot of young pieces. We had the emergence of Alan Hearns and Alan Robinson, Julius Thomas coming back from his injury into that offense. Bortles looking like there might actually be a little something to him, and he might be moving towards justifying perhaps his his high draft position. And lots of lots of acquisitions on the defense. And then it just all went wrong. Nothing happened. The team has in every conceivable way regressed from last season. Um, if you look at how. Bortles has been playing, how the receivers have struggled to get open, how the defense is just giving up plays where it doesn't need to, and then again we're getting this sort of garbage time stat padding that Bortles has always been guilty of that makes the team look a bit more respectable than it was. This is a team that can be competitive, but can't be competitive for even three quarters of a game, Mm. that can have these incredible moments of explosion and brilliance and then just cannot maintain any level of in-game consistency. And that's catching them out. And at this point, you've got to wonder if Gus Bradley, obviously haven't been given the amount of time Gus Bradley has been given, and he still can't sort that aspect out, that basic like level of co- being able to coach a team to play a whole game. You know, the, the problems here go deeper than just the personnel, although the personnel is proving to be a disappointment. And Shaheed Khan has done what you would think to be the right thing as an owner, to give patience, to give time to a rebuilding project, to try and say, right, look, this team was, was good like briefly, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Let's see if we can stop being the joke, a joke in the league. And they've just fallen back into that, even in a weak division that they've had every single opportunity to win. If you look at their yeah. performance this week, where they got basically blown out by the Tennessee Titans, and then were able to get it back to within like a respectable distance of two scores, owing to some garbage time, that's not a good team you're losing to. That's an in-division rival. That's the kind of game you have to win. That's the kind of game where you have to at least be able to play them close. And they are incapable of doing that. It looked like Gus Bradley might have saved his job with the back-to-back wins against Indianapolis and Chicago against two very weak teams. But again, regressing into that, like putting up essentially nothing against an Oakland team that took, again, half the game to get going last week, and then just getting handled by Tennessee, who have not been a good team, in Tennessee, where Tennessee played very badly at home, this is a team that has to look at the current rebuild it's doing, and this is the problem for them. This isn't just a lost season for Jacksonville. This is a problem where they're looking at the rebuild they've been working on for the last uh, three seasons now, and have to look at that and be like, "This isn't. this isn't working as a rebuild anymore. And you have to then think that the concern for them is is that they are going to now be stuck in do we have to rebuild on the rebuild? Do we have to make a change here? And you saw now they fired the offensive coordinator, Greg Olsen, the lesser-known Greg Mm. Olsen, in an attempt to revitalize that and say, look, we've got to get something working on the offense and what we're doing at the moment isn't working. That's fair enough. But it's a team that... Unless they can basically establish a different way of playing, unless they can like, make a run game effective, unless they can actually make their secondary effective, where like, even like, adding pieces like Jalen Ramsey hasn't actually done anything for them and they're still extremely disorganized. But you say, like, you're basically, this team is relying on Blake Bortles to throw it deep to win. And that's, that's the culmination of, of these, these seasons of rebuilding, is that you have Blake Bortles airing it out, trying to win games, That's not sustainable, and we're seeing that. We've seen that right now, that that is not something that's been effective and not something that's been productive for them. This season is over. There is best, to be honest with you, the end of this season just trying different stuff to see what sticks at this point over the back half, because they're not making the playoffs. They might as well get a good draft pick out of it. And they really need to consider where they are as a team and where they want to move as a franchise, because this season has shown the current direction is just genuinely not one they can continue moving in. Yeah, no, of course, of course,
1: and like we said, we're kind of surprised that they've that they've maintained their coaching staff. We we were very much favouring that to be the one that would be the first to lose coaching staff uh, mid season points, but we'll we'll see how that progresses. It might still happen. Might still happen for my team that we're going to say goodbye to you now. Unfortunately, it's the the poor old Cleveland Browns. Uh, the poor old Cleveland Browns who are now oh uh, and eight. They put pretty much all their players on the trade block except for Pryor. Uh, they haven't looked like they've really been in a game at all this season. They've had a good couple of good moments. Like this week against the Jets they went up real nice in the first kind of 20 minutes and then proceeded to shit the bed for the next 40 minutes. Uh they went up big against Baltimore and shit the bed. They lost to Tennessee by two points. They ran the Dolphins real close. Like it's exhausting to watch this team and I could not imagine trying to actually be a fan of it because there are moments where you see good things happening. They got in the coach. They got Hugh Jackson. They changed the the front office. They've got Sashi in his weird kind of semi Wizard of Oz super controller role where he supersedes everyone. They brought in players. They decided to take punts on people like uh, like RG three. But now they've had six different quarterbacks playing for them at different points during the season. Like there are positives there. They've got the coach. They've been accumulating a shit ton of draft picks. Now, in very Cleveland fashion, the, uh, the, the the current projections are this is not going to be a very good draft. So they're going to have a ton of draft picks with uh, without the best. But rather than the problems that Harry was saying for, for the Jaguars, the Browns know that they're in a rebuild. They know they need to start everything from the ground up. That's why they're shipping away players so while it might feel bad that they've got Joe Hayden on the trade block if they get a decent pick for him that's better for the long term future of the team they've got a decent young receiver he's injured at the moment but he was looking good their running back is looking alright if they've got a few bits they can build on but it's just that they've got the mindset there at least that they're looking at next year they were looking at next year from two weeks into this season like they didn't expect much to happen this year so it's not that much of a surprise that this one's over the difference is they're already focused on the future some of the other teams we mentioned they're still thinking that they might have something to, to to go on right now so the browns unfortunately you're being put in the ground for the year but uh, maybe next year it'll be a little bit better
0: i enjoyed the japada banner did you yes
1: you see this is the thing this is why they can't have nice things they decided to roll out a dog pound banner uh during the <laughs> during the match but they managed to get the pieces in the wrong order so they couldn't even do a fucking banner that says "Dog Pound" correctly, Chipotle Wand or something, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, it was brutal. Uh, but uh, poor Cleveland. Like, just, just chill. Just like, go watch Draft Day. Draft Day <laughs> is the best performance the Browns have had in the last four or five years, I think. And that was pretty poor, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. look, we'll have a look at some of the games from last week. All right, so first up uh, in the Ring of Honor, we got Philadelphia Dallas, twenty three to twenty nine, in overtime. I must say, lads, we got value for money this week in our games, didn't we? Fucking tons of them into overtime. Uh, all three, I think, we're going to deal with went overtime. So Dallas, keep on rolling, the six and one over there NFC rivals. Uh, Prescott started slow but finished with two hundred and eighty seven yards, uh, two touchdowns, an interception. Elliott looked good, ninety six on the ground, fifty two uh, uh, passing. Bizarrely, he looked extremely well, but they seemed to move away from him as the game progressed, which was a bit strange. And Des Bryant returned uh, triumphantly with 113 yards and a touchdown. For for Philadelphia, Sproles performed quite well, uh, 87, uh, over 100 yards from scrimmage. But the Eagles couldn't really seem to find any sort of rhythm. Uh, there was moments where they looked like they were overpowering, but then they just kind of regress again. It was a weird game. It was a good game. Uh, but it was, it was not... I don't think it was fully the the kind of explosive total teams that we were expecting to see from two teams that are massively on the up in the NFC. So, Harry, I'm going to come to you first on this. Um, The Dallas team are now two games clear at the top of the NFC East. Uh, They're performing well. Even when they're not having a great game, they're having good performances out of people. Is there any
0: catching them in this division? If they keep playing at this level, you have to think no. Like, they're... Two games clear now. They have obviously a tiebreaker now over Philadelphia. So you would think if they can maintain this level of form going forward, they're going they're going to be all right, and they're going to they're going to be able to stave it off. And what I think it looks particularly good for them coming out of this week is you look at the- they they again got themselves into a tough situation. They were going back and forth for control of it a lot of the time. We had Dak Prescott throw a red zone pick, but the team was basically able to to continue playing throughout the game, kept in touch, had to. Um, had to come essentially like was, was behind in the fourth quarter and had to had to sort itself out from that situation and then able to to take it over in in uh, in overtime. So that's the positive there. And if this is the kind of thing, this is gonna be a very tough team to beat. Even when they make strange decisions, like you mentioned with Ziggy Elliott's mm. workload dropping off as the game went on, they were able to rely on, on on doing what they needed to do, and they were also able to defensively stop the Eagles from pushing the ball too far downfield. A lot of the times, made them take a lot of uh, take a lot of time to get their drives going and so on. So. ...quite positive things to take away from Dallas... ...even though it was a difficult game for them... ...and that's the kind of game you want to see a young team... ...you know, uh, a team that has inexperienced a lot of positions... ...being able to win and being able to sort of play to its strengths... ...and not crumple when it faces a team that's playing them very tough... ...and a team that's playing them very close... ...and a team that's making it very, very difficult for them... Um, ...despite, you know, obviously Dallas's statistical uh, statistical dominance... of ...of, of the various mm. metrics in the game... Yeah, unless basically this, this division is now in Dallas's hands with that win, and it's it's basically up to them. Can they maintain this through for the rest of the season? And at the moment, barring some kind of injury happening or barring some kind of strange setback, you really do have to think that this is going to be Dallas are going to win this division. They're going to go to the playoffs, and um, yeah, and and, and uh, it's it's very difficult to see a way back into it for for Philly or the Giants or Washington at no, this stage.
1: No, of course. Run the Eagles, like I said, kind of. They were a bit streaky on and off in parts. Uh, they kind of like slow off the mark, then sped up a bit, and then slowed back down again. It's quite a different team from what we saw earlier on in the season. Um, like, what do you think has changed? Is it just that now teams have tape on Wentz and they're used to seeing it, or is it that the team is hitting some limitations? Well, I think that they've played better teams. I think that that, that,
2: that is a large part of it. Mm. And they actually did. And and ironically, they end up getting their win against after the bye against minnesota who would have been probably the best of that team but all the teams that they've lost to now have been very solid teams they're one in three after the bye but the consistent problem that they've had in those three losses is that they haven't been able to close out games they haven't been able to finish games in an efficient way they've been in each of those games they've had opportunities to close salt away those games and in each of those cases they've failed to do so they've allowed the other team to come in and 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 basically beat them around. And it kind of reminds me, like they're kind of like a poor man's Kansas City Chiefs for me. Unsurprising, obviously, with Doug Pedersen coming from the Andy Reid coaching tree. But I think they're what the Chiefs would be if they didn't have a running game, if they didn't have that kind of efficiency in their wide receivers and in the way they play the game. I think they have a bit more explosiveness to their offense, but I think when you're trying to grind that game down, you're trying to win these close games, they lack consistency. They lack the consistency to actually... um, consistently get the ball forward get those tough first downs in the fourth quarter and just get the game away so like they move towards Darren Sproles in this in this game and Darren Sproles look really good but when you're in the fourth quarter do you really want Darren Sproles to be your running back yeah. when they expect the run and they stack the box Darren Sproles isn't going to go anywhere he needs to be in the open field you need to manufacture touches for him but obviously those are the type of plays that can get blown up and end up in sacks or fumbles and that kind of situation mm-hmm. like they have Ryan Matthews but Ryan Matthews has consistently put the ball on the mat and fumbled the ball and given away games in those close games that we've talked about previously you can't trust him either they have a couple of young people like Barnard and Smallwood who haven't really shown much uh, I believe Smallwood fumbled himself in this game. Yeah. So I think when you have that lack of consistency in the running back position, and you have wide receivers who are very mediocre and have a very troubling uh, tendency to drop the ball, like the only ball, the only receiver they seem who can actually seems to catch the ball is uh, Green Beckham. Adore yeah. Green Beckham, but his problem is that he's not very good at running routes, which is another issue because <laughs> of <need> the interceptions. <laughs> so like on the offense, it's just like like it's a good offense. I think you're right. It's streaky offense. I think it's got a lot of potential. But when you want them to just close the game down, they just cannot do it. And the defense, I don't, I don't think you can blame any of this on the defense. The defense has consistently done everything it can. Like, it's not a defense that is stacked with players at every level. It has issues. Like, the, the secondary is, is, is like re has been remade this season with a lot of free agents. And they've done the best that they can. But in this case, it wasn't enough. So I think, like, this team, it's good, but it's not great. I think it reminds me, kind of like an Achievement that way, that they can only win by grinding games out and they currently just lack those components to make that Mm. game plan work I think next year when you have another opportunity to put those pieces on the offense that we've seen that he did in the defense
1: this could actually be a real contender for this year though they're probably looking for the wild card yeah no fair enough uh the next game up in the neutral zone we're going to look at is washington cincinnati another overtime except this one ended 27 27 for a tie uh london saw its best game of the year here after a slow first half the second half really kind of kicked off five touchdowns and then overtime uh cousins had a surprisingly good statistical day at least he threw over 450 yards Bengals had over 150 yards on the ground couple of standard performances I suppose AJ Green 121 yards man handling Josh Norman for the entire game Uh, Josh Norman drawing a large amount of uh, penalties for his tendency to grab the face mask at the line of scrimmage just to make sure I don't know that the 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 receivers pointed in the right direction or something. Uh, Elliot over or Eifert over a hundred yards and touchdown. Crowder and Reed hundred and touchdown each. Uh, More missed field goals again for some reason. It seems to be really hard to kick field goals in Wembley. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why. Um, and then as we said, a tie. I think it's the first back to back week uh, where we had tie games since the 90s, which is a good old good old long time ago, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, it was f- interesting for the old, uh, for the fans in London Say a lot of them were getting confused at what the overtime regulations would be in this <laughs> scenario as well. Uh, I did love the one, the, uh, they're all wondering where the penalties are. But, um, so, Ronan, I'll come to you on Washington first on this. Uh, very inconsistent up and down team. Do we put this on the travel and the having to be over in London, or is it a longer term issue? Because if it's just the travel, maybe it's okay, but if it's a longer term issue, like, they're in a tough division, can they even compete for a wildcard spot? Yeah, like they're one of those teams in the NFC, kind of like the Detroit Lions or in the AFC, like the Tennessee Titans. It's
2: very hard to get an accurate read on where you actually think this team is, what the identity of this team is. So I think we've consistently said before that like Washington tends to be more of a flat track volley on offense. Like it struggles to do this, but against what is a decent Cincinnati team, although it seems they've had a bit of regression this year, they do put up a lot of yards. Kirk Cousins has over four hundred yards. Uh, they bring in Rob Kelly; he has a good game. I think over a hundred yards overall. Uh, from the line of scrimmage, and then a bit bit, bit from Chris Thompson. Like, it's just... When you look at the stats for this game, Washington's offense looked like it was explosive. But when you're actually watching the game a lot of them were just kind of like I wouldn't say I don't want to say lucky or fluky plays but plays which kind of broke down in the Cincinnati defense like I'm specifically thinking that like Jordan Reed touchdown where he kind of spun away and like turned that into uh, turned it from like would have been maybe a marginal first down call like first down make to a touchdown
1: They they got a lot of those ones that could have been 12 yard passes that ended up being 30 yard passes because of blown coverages and stuff
2: yeah, and I think like, that kind of reflects where the team is. Like, I think when you have players like Deshaun Jackson and Jordan Reed, that's what you can do. But you have to ask whether that's going to consistently be enough to be competitive, especially now that the NFC East has so many good teams in it. When you have the Eagles in there and you have the Cowboys who are looking very good and the Giants on their day can look as good as any of those as well. So when you look at that overall, Washington historically last year when they got to the playoffs did that on the back of beating poor teams. There aren't that many poor teams left left in the NFC East, so this offense, I think, is bound to like it's like this. looks good but I still would have major doubts whether they can consistently create the type of offensive production that we saw in this game and in a more replicable manner on the defense the defense looks solid I don't think this is like a top 10 unit or anything I think it's just one of the good units I think Josh Norman actually had overall a pretty good game but just makes a lot of mental errors I think he Mm. just this constant contact to the face like you know when it's called like one or two times maybe that's fine (laughs) but like when it's called like five times it's this constant, like, smacking them in the face type thing that he was doing to try and get... Like, he, I think he, overall, I would say he had a draw with A.J. Green. Uh, like, A.J. Green had 100 yards, but he, like, there was a couple of cases where he could have easily made an interception on A.J. Green uh, receptions as well. So, overall, I would consider it a bit of a draw, but I think, overall, the defense is solid. And the big surprise this year is been I mean, they've had, actually, some pressure on the quarterback, which has been nice. But, once again, I think this team is just mediocre, but could potentially make a run at the wildcard
1: situation in the NFC's but it's not going to be the walkover that they had for the last couple of years so that's for sure no of course so Harry, this Cincinnati team we kind of had pretty higher expectations of than we were coming in and they do still have a lot of that quality on their on their roster but despite being less than we expected they're only a game and a half back from Pittsburgh here uh Pittsburgh still up in the air about whether Ben Roethlisberger's back or not Eifert came back and he's looking good Greens looking strong like, what's the trajectory for this team? Are they in a position
0: where they can push at Pittsburgh? Well, I think a lot of that's going to come down to how long Roethlisberger's at, obviously, and what situation Pittsburgh find themselves in the uh, AFC North, which we are to obviously, one of the stronger divisions this season has been very messy with, I think, pretty much every single team, including the Browns, underperforming where we thought they would be, <laughs> and that definitely very much, though, includes Cincinnati. And uh, this has been one of the uh, surprises. Because if you told me at the start of the season, oh, Pittsburgh going to struggle, is going to get hurt, they're going to drop stupid games, teams like Miami, I'd be like, right, well, the Bengals should be running away with the division. And the fact they're not is quite concerning. And I think that this game actually indicated a lot of the problems that um, Cincinnati have been having this season really, really harshly. And it comes back to something Ronan said, I think, about uh, you look at the way in which yards were gained by Washington. The consistent problem that Cincinnati had on, was on defense. There were two things. Firstly, in terms of their lineup, they've seen to be playing an awful lot of soft zone, off man, to try and stop these big plays from happening, to try and stop Deshaun Jackson or Jamison Crowder being able to burn past them. And secondly, uh, open field tackling was a huge problem. And these are two things that if you want to win games consistently, you have to be able to do these things. And you look at the uh, touchdowns that were scored by Reed and also by Jamison Crowder in that game, this was a case of Cincinnati losing coverages or even just not having their alignment just being off as in they would have like be playing like a lot of soft zone coverage, and then there's guys just being able to run in between the zones way too easily, or catch the ball and then find the space in between where the zone guys are to get down the field, get into the end zone, or make big plays. That's unacceptable for a team that needs to be a contender. And for all people who said, oh, you know, they're missing... Hugh Jackson, there's something wrong on the offense, which is is true to an extent. The offense doesn't look as good as it did last year, but it's still, as we saw in this game, it's still like perfectly competent. And even when it's not, you've got guys like AJ Green who can make plays, right? The problem with Cincinnati is their defense, which was very, very good last season, has been really, really struggling to contain teams. And this was a game that, bear in mind, Cincinnati should not have won. Like, it was Washington who, you know, had had that chance to win the game at the end. You can also say, yes, Cincinnati missed kicks too. At the end of the day, they, they they were very fortunate to get away with with a tie in this one. I think this game emblematized those problems, that there is an issue with the defense, both in terms of the play calling and within the way players are playing. And that's the kind of thing that if they want to actually push to overtake Pittsburgh, and if they want to try and take control of this division, they're going to have to take control of games. And that is going to start with the way their defense is playing, with being able to contain people. And this has been a problem since week one with the Jets, but we saw it, I think, really shown today when Kirk Cousins was able to throw yeah, for, over four, for over 400 yards without actually pushing the ball that far downfield a lot of the time.
1: Oh yeah. Like it was just some of those some of those deep passes you're throwing as well just looked awful like the, the Hail Mary <laughs> at the end was just hilarious. <laughs> like, oh quick i got to really whip it down there. Oh, okay maybe I'm going to throw it like 35 yards short and 10 yards out of bounds instead I think as he's falling back he's like yeah I'll de- this is
2: definitely an Aaron Rodgers throw <laughs> goes like out of uh, out of touch like 20 yards short
1: of the end zone It was, uh, it was st- caught by Pac-Man Jones as well <laughs> so. it was not impressive in the slightest our uh, final game down in the dumpster fire it a uh, quick quite, quite toasty down here today it's not the world's worst game for a dumpster fire but it is. Uh, there is some bad shit to be talked about in this Oakland at Tampa Bay 30-24 to 24, again in overtime Derek Card the 10th most yards in a single game ever passing 513 this is a game that absolutely 100% when you look at it oakland should have been destroying oakland had 626 yards of offense tampa bay at 270 right yet it took until overtime to lock this up amari cooper was a beast 173 yards and a touchdown tampa bay looked poor but somehow managed to hang in there how you might ask penalties Nothing but penalties. The Raiders took the crown of being becoming the most penalised team in a game in NFL history. They had 23 penalties for 200 yards. Field goal misses again all over the shop. The fact that this took till overtime confused the shite out of me. And also the fact that this game opened uh, with lines of uh, positive for, for Oakland. Oakland were plus three at the opening of gambling on this thing. Uh, we were very confused. Harry... While obviously the Raiders are going to be happy with this win, does like the indiscipline
0: and the inability to close out a game get you really, really worried? Yeah, the the indiscipline does in particular. I mean, look at this point. If we're worrying about Oakland not being able to close games, we haven't been watching Oakland. Like, <laughs> how many times have they just gone to the fourth quarter final drive and been like, "Yeah, Derek, go and do some stuff. I don't know, whatever, That's win it. the game." Um, the indiscipline was just baffling, and it dragged this game. Like, like you said, penalties were, were the penalties were Tampa Bay's best player, and it wasn't close not even close not even close in the slide. there were more Oakland gave up more penalties than Jameis Winston had completions right like that is nuts so yeah you've got to like wonder how the coaching staff let that happen now in the end they won but yeah it made it unnecessarily heavy weather of what should have been a fairly simple victory against a pretty bad team that was not playing particularly well. And you look at like Oakland, as you said, like they they could significantly outgain them. A lot of that was obviously due to having to try and make up lost penalty yards they dominated ball control. But What gets quite concerning here is that Oakland don't actually seem to have very good game plans. Like, we often see them really struggle to get into games, and really struggle, it's not even so much closing out games, they get themselves into these shootouts, into these weird situations, they struggle to move the ball quite often for the first half of a game, and then they just sort of go, ah, fuck it, let's give the ball to Derek Carr and let him throw it around a bit and see what Mm -hmm. happens. And there was comparisons earlier, I didn't really see them, but now now I am starting to see them between Carr and, and Brett Favre. And obviously there's a there's a difference there, but there's that same kind of mentality of being like, I've just got to put the team on my back, I'm just going to throw the ball a load, uh, let's see what happens, you know? And like so, two out of every three women have received a picture of his dick. Oakland, they're, they're winning games, they are like making it very, very difficult for themselves. And unless they can actually work out how to start games and how to actually come in with something effective rather than just relying it, relying on their QB. It doesn't matter if they make the playoffs if they win this division, which they might not do because it's a tough division. Like One loss can set you back from first to third in this division yeah. right now. Although you'd you think the way they're playing that this, this is a division that could very well send three teams to the playoffs. Mm. The way Oakland are playing when they come up against a good team in the playoffs they're probably going to get stomped. And unless they can actually work out a way to create an effective running game, because they do have three quite talented running backs that they just don't seem to know how to exploit, unless they can get their defense uh, creating consistent pressure on quarterbacks, which, again, despite having talent up front, they haven't quite been able to do with any level of consistency this season. Unless they're able to do that, they're constantly going to find themselves in these weird situations. At a certain point, when you find yourselves in these games, something has got to give, and Oakland can't rely on... Car coming through every single time because it's not always going to work. No, no, of course not. Yeah, as you say, like, it's not going to work when you come up against even just marginally
1: better defenses than Tampa fucking Bay, <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, Ronan, on to Tampa Bay. They've not looked all that good of late. Uh, like I said, they stayed in here, but I'm going to put a large, healthy dollop of that onto the fact that the Raiders basically gave them 200 yards for free. Like, what's holding them back? Is it injuries to people like Doug Martin? Is it coaching? Or what is it? Like, what needs to happen? Or change for Tampa Bay to start being successful?
2: On paper, they should have reason to hope or reason to believe that they can challenge. And at certain points of the season, they have done that. Like they had a good opening win against Atlanta, they've beat Carolina. Uh, like, But overall, the problem is this team just doesn't really have any identity, doesn't have any consistency. And the identity on the offense should be James Winston. He's like he's a first, like an overall number one pick. He's obviously considered to be one of the best young prospects. But when you compare the way that he played against the way Derek Carr played, he played within himself. He played conservatively. He played in a way to not lose the game. And like maybe that reflects somewhat the fact that last year he had a few interceptions and he was a bit maybe over-exuberant, particularly on some goal-line carries that he made. But, and then got flipped over, uh, significantly true... But there seems to be a case this year that the coaches, like there's, there's something going on in that offense where he isn't being trusted to actually run that offense and do the kind of things that Derek Carr is being allowed to do. i like obviously he's one year, like he's one year less in the league than Derek Carr. But the level of difference in the quality and even comparing how Derek Carr was last year, honestly, it, it, it's it's pretty bad. And overall, it's hard not to think that he might have regressed somewhat this season, and that mm-hmm. has to worry the Tampa Bay fans now. Doug Martin I think you're right he was a major factor uh, and Charles Sims as well obviously their third down back M- losing your top two running backs is a major issue particularly to who had such uh, like who were so important to the game plan but Jacoes Rogers has come in and actually done okay with the carries that he's had so you can't blame it all on the fact that their run game hasn't been there the run game has been there it hasn't been great but it has been effective enough that a good quarterback should still be able to make plays. So overall, I think on the offense, you really have to have worries there for Tampa Bay. On the defense, there are pieces there, but they're not putting it together. They're consistently allowing too many points. And in this game, they really were saved by the fact that just as the Raiders were getting going, they would often give you a penalty, like a couple of holding penalties, and then they would basically put themselves out of contention that way. So I think overall for Tampa Bay, It's not just that they've been bad; it's that they've been kind of bad in a boring way, in a kind of like morass way that doesn't really give you any sense that this is a team that could, in the back half, put together a good series of wins and maybe challenge in the NFC South. Like in that division, they could have a chance simply because the uh, Atlanta Falcons are such a streaky team themselves. But right now, if you're going to pick someone who might make that, it's probably more likely to do the Saints than them. So I think for Tampa Bay, a lot of questions, especially for a team that is supposed to have young pieces. It's supposed
1: to be building towards the future. But right now, I don't know where that future is. Yeah. Well I suppose on that cheery note, we'll uh, we'll move on to some questions from the listeners. Okay, so we've got a question in, ironically, given the question from Josh. So he said this week we had a couple of high profile players calling out the refs. Is this something players should be doing or is this something that the coaches should stop? Uh, so, obviously, he's referring to Cam Newton, Josh Norman, coming out complaining about, uh, and a couple of other players as well, but those two were kind of more covered, coming out and complaining about how the referees uh, were, were officiating the games. So Josh Norman felt he was being unfairly targeted for grabbing people's faces Uh, (laughs) very Josh Norman Uh, Cam Newton annoyed that late hits and low hits were not being called on him he had a particularly bad one late in the game where a guy came in late and low and just went on his ankle slash hamstring quite heavily uh, and he was looking for a flag nothing came uh now, I suppose the question is, if you're in a game situation, you can't really go and complain to the rest, because that will get you flagged and ejected from a game, so you don't have a recourse there. Your recourse normally is after the game going to your going to your team, uh, your coaches or whatever, and asking them to raise it with the league on your behalf. What do you think about this individual level of, especially, because we've seen a lot of Post-game interviews where people are still hot-headed or still annoyed about something and making very strong statements, and then follow them—is this something that you think is a good idea, or is it something they
0: should leave to 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 the management to deal with Harry? Yeah, I I personally I've, I've no issue with it, and I I you know I don't think it's necessarily the most effective thing in the world, but I think there's two there's two things to it that I think are quite important. Firstly, in that it uh, you know it's actually i think it's important that you have let players have a, have a, a feel that they have somewhere they can air their grievances even though i don't think they think themselves that it's going to make a monumental change like even cam newton when he was doing his thing was like i want to go and talk to the league about this he didn't think talking about it in the press conference would necessarily was necessarily going to go and change anything but um i think it's just important that you'd say right okay go blow off some steam to the media like no, there, nobody's going out and saying, "Oh, you know, the refs are corrupt or making any major allegations." They go out and say, "I was treated unfairly. Here's why I feel I was treated unfairly," and they feel that you know that that's a, just a way for them to make their case without them having to sit on it and stew on it. And I think it's just useful to have that kind of public venting thing in general. And I think it's fine. And you know what, if you want to look from the media perspective, it's good hashtag content to put up there. <laughs> but but our, ironically, your your team, the New
1: England Patriots, are ones that keep a very tight lid on those things and don't tend to want players out talking to the media about things like we, that.
0: We do. And, uh, you know, there's, there's different ways to do it. And some players, but that's the thing, is some players don't work in New England because they don't fit into the culture and they don't like the the, the way it's very tightly controlled and Belichick. Uh, very, very carefully manages what he does, but they've got sort of a different way of doing it. I mean, if you look at a Bill Belichick press conference, all he does is basically slag people off just in a very subtle, uh, <laughs> and dismissive way. But, um, there's definitely an element of that. But again, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's not something a lot of players who've gone to England haven't found themselves suited to that and haven't liked the, the environment there. And for some of them it's great and for some of them it isn't. But for other teams, you know, that don't do that, like for example the Carolina Panthers, who are a very sort of personality driven team and like to let their players sort of, uh, let it, let it fly out a bit. That's grand for them because that's the kind of, that's the kind of way they, they think is best to manage their personnel. And I wouldn't I wouldn't second guess that. Although obviously some coaches are, it seems to be have, have worked for them in the past. The second thing that I think is important about it is it actually does just draw attention to these things because a team can go and talk to the league about it, and those channels do exist. Whether they're successful or not is up to the league, really. Um, and sometimes it will be, sometimes it won't be, sometimes it become a point of emphasis, sometimes it'll be something, okay, we're going to need to bring a new rule at the owner's meeting, and we'll deal with that next season. But what this does is this actually, I think, just pushes those issues into a public thing, and it can create... A sort of a, a, a pressure within the narrative and within the media, and I think it's totally—it's one of those weird things that the NFL is all about the narrative. It doesn't like the players controlling it and doesn't like the players having an input in it. So I think it's quite good that the players have an avenue that they can do that, and then people are looking for it, being like, "Oh, is this happening? Is Cam Newton being unfairly targeted?" And that then creates a pressure narrative that actually can have an effect on the league and push them more towards trying to emphasize this kind of thing and these kind of protections and things like that, because suddenly they're under pressure to do it because there people are saying, "Oh, this is a bad thing in the game." So I think that actually can be quite useful for the players to basically put part of how they feel into the narrative when the league is often trying to exclude them from it
2: now what about yourself it's I don't really buy the false equivalence between the referees and the league like the referees are just guys who are paid to go out there and try to interpret the rules they don't set the rules like obviously they have input to the rules but they don't set the rules the NFL the owners do that when, when, so, I, when, when
1: you say that I just think of that like I don't pretend to understand Brannigan's law <laughs> <and nearly laughs> it.
2: so I think like it, it depends on the complaints that they're having like look like, Cam Newton obviously believes he's been targeted. It's always, this goes back further than this, but obviously, most famously, the situation with Ed Hockley last season where he basically said, you know, you're too young to get that kind of call for a roughing the passer call, basically implying that a player like Peyton Manning or Tom Brady would have gotten that call, but Cam Newton doesn't because of his particular um, youth and probably his particular skill set in terms of running. So I think from that perspective, I think Cam Newton's a somewhat more interesting case because in that case, it is... Somewhat about the interpretation of how referees view a quarterback as a runner, and how that interpretation comes into the overall uh, objective of trying to take quarterbacks. But like the Josh Norman thing, there's no excuse for that. Like a hey, like that's a team like you. That's a team you should have won. You should probably keep your mouth shut and actually like get on your get get back on the plane and talk about how you're going to improve yourself and have a chance of getting into the playoffs. His bad mounting his like bad mouthing the refs when in actuality it was entirely his own fault. He kept smacking AJ Green in the face. That's a like that's a contact to the face penalty. There's no complaint about that. His only complaint is that it's not applied consistently. Look, if we went back through every play, you could probably find one penalty happening on every single play. Referees have an incredibly tough decision to make because if they threw a, re- a flag on every single play, people would complain. No um, one would watch. Yeah, I think that happened on Sunday Sunday Night Football. Uh, like A couple of Sunday Night Football games this year have been heavily flagged and that has become a thing for the referees. So the referees are in a tough situation where if they were to fully enforce the rules, they could probably throw a lot more flags. But they also understand that they have a duty to make sure that the product, or that the, the game, is actually flows and has some entertainment to this. This is something that happens in pretty much every sport, whether it's soccer, whether it's rugby, whether it's NFL. And I think it's, it's, it's part of the, almost part of the toughest part of being a referee is kind of trying to cut through the ambiguity of what the rules state and what the rules mean for actually having a good game come together. I think the referees overall tend to do a good job. They tend to be very good. I think most of the time when players are coming out and doing this, it's not really good for them. It's not really good for the team. And most of the time they're not really that justified in it. I think the Cam Newton case, maybe there's a case there due to the history, but in most of these cases and especially with Josh Norman's case, he should shut up. He should pull up and maybe he should look at his own
1: uh, look at his own uh, penalties before he starts asking about other people's. Yeah, no, fair enough. Like like I said, I think I think there can be value to it, but I think it's very selective when it is valuable to do it. I think, as you said, the Josh R. one's ridiculous. The Cam Newton one, possibly less ridiculous, but there is, there is an element of, as much as you want to control the narrative at that point, it should be, we won, it was a tough game, people will see that on the tape anyway, take it away, deal with that afterwards. I don't see necessarily what the value of him saying that at a press conference is, what the impact will have, because as he said, I'm going to take it to ownership or management and they're going to progress it that way that's how it gets dealt with so I don't know why he wants to put almost a sour note at the end of that game that said I do support their ability to go out and actually have a comment on stuff because as you said what we need is we need people to have personality to be able to feel that they can talk about these things, that it's not just a, well, I was also told to shut up by management. so clearly no one cares about these issues type of thing. But I do think it's it's overutilised by players who are just in pissed off moods sometimes, especially, more so than just the press conferences, especially when it happens in the uh, in the post-game locker room interviews when they are fresh from the field and they haven't had time to process it properly. I almost think that it's unfair to be putting cameras in the faces of lads there in what's normally a very emotionally charged situation. Uh, scenario but yeah thanks very much for your question Josh Uh, we're going to fly on to the games for next week so uh, bizarrely we've got a whole lot of agreement going on this week Uh, so we're going to fly through these nice and quickly big Uh, accumulator for us all this week yeah oh god it'll be great Uh, Atlanta Tampa Bay we've taken Atlanta across the board why is that Ronan
2: Uh, As we've already discussed Tampa Bay are a pretty Bad team Who don't have an identity Atlanta got a great win Against Green Bay uh, Which we would have discussed Except we've discussed Atlanta so much recently (laughs) Um, And I think overall Like Atlanta Are balling out on offense The defense
1: is solid enough I don't think Tampa Bay Have enough to really challenge What is an NFC contender In Atlanta Yeah no 100%
0: Uh, Detroit at Minnesota Harry why have we all Taken Minnesota Uh, Minnesota Like rock solid defense Functional offense Detroit Big old pile of flakes at this point. We saw it again this week. Just a team that collapses at inopportune moments. You think Minnesota are able to play tight enough football and consistent enough football to overcome overcome Detroit, particularly when they're going to make it very difficult for Stafford to move the ball down the field. One thing we need to
1: remember, though, is Detroit did not have a great game, and that means, due to the pattern, they'll have an amazing <laughs> game next week. Uh, next up is Ronan's Pick of the Week. Uh, Pittsburgh at Baltimore. Big uh, AFC North game. Why? Tell us a little bit about this game.
2: Yeah, like as we discussed in the Cincinnati game, the AFC North right now is a bit of a mess. Obviously, Cleveland are pretty much dead, as as we've mentioned at zero and eight. But everyone else, it's pretty much up up in the air right now. Pittsburgh have been consistently inconsistent. Like obviously, the loss of Ben Roethlisberger for this game is a massive unknown variable at this point, uh, coming out of the bye week. And but even if Landry Jones is thrown in there, you would still on the balance of pay like on the balance of power probably current form. Still favor Pittsburgh in this case, and I think that's probably why we end up going on the board uh, for Pittsburgh. But we know that Baltimore can be a, a good team when they want to be. They have a good coach, they have a good organization, and they still have talent on that team. But they are on this four-game losing uh, skid, and you have to worry about Baltimore's ability to actually come together and put something together. Now they're coming off uh, by themselves. So they've had an opportunity to regroup and put them together. So right right now you have two strong organisations which have underperformed relative to where we think they are in a division where one win and tiebreakers could make a massive difference toward the end of the season. This is often an incredibly uh, spicy game, uh, as you might call it. Uh, and one in which Baltimore tends to or like the team who is an underdog often has a surprisingly good game and makes it a very competitive fixture so I think even though Pittsburgh on paper should have the advantages particularly if Ben Roethlisberger is in there you have to feel the Ravens are a team that has historically shown that they can get wins even when you're not expecting them because they haven't been good for over a season now but consistently again and again they win games when you don't really know why they won games so I think this could be a really close game a really interesting game and it has massive ramifications for the playoff picture and, and for, for me that's why I think this is one game that we all should keep an eye out for this week
1: no I said I think I'm, I've similar rationale the next game up is my pick of the week the uh, Jets at Miami it's an interesting one <laughs> i would give you that uh, we've taken Miami across the board uh, so this week, Rex Ryan has come out and said that he's conceded winning the AFC East at 4-4 four and four for the Bills, looking at a wild card spot there at the moment. Uh, the Dolphins in the last two or three weeks seem to have found an identity and now actually look like a team that could challenge in that division. Uh, surprisingly enough, they look similar to the old Jets teams that... that, uh, that uh, Rex used to used to run, uh, like kind of run hard, tough defense and all that kind of stuff. Things this has huge impact for whether or not the ASE will be able to provide a wildcard team or not. So at the moment the the, the, the Bills are at five hundred, the Dolphins if they win this go to five hundred, the Jets could go to four and five. Um the problem is Unless someone separates themselves in this mess of these three teams, then none of them are going to be able to have a, a score high enough to be able to challenge for a wild card spot as it stands, the AFC West has three of the four highest uh, highest records or standings at the moment, so they 're going to need to have someone to separate themselves and start picking up these games to try and catch up with the AFC West to try and take a wild card spot now they 've got the plus of the AFC West play a lot play each other a lot more at the tail end so that might knock some off them as well but if the Jets beat the Dolphins, and then the Dolphins beat the Bills, and then the you know they just keep taking wins off each other. None of them are going to get above eight wins, above five hundred, maybe nine wins, uh, and that means that no one's going to be able to do it. So this is this is a statement game for Miami. They're at home. It's in division. It would bring them back up to five hundred. We reckon that Buffalo are going to drop their game this week, which we would then put put. Uh, Put Miami into second place in that division with an in division win, looking strong with this run game continuing to push. So if they can do that, I think they're setting themselves up nicely for a potential run at a wild card spot. If they don't, then the Jets take the win here, and this division just means marred in mediocrity and the yeah. Patriots and the Patriots <laughs> yeah and of course I, I kind of don't count them in the division I kind go like they're a winner and then there's these, all these three teams fighting out for a wild card spot here uh, I think especially
2: after that result last, like last week where um, Miami beat Buffalo I think that yeah. I think definitely what you're talking about there is that, that like they're all going to be there's a chance they'll all end up swimming in mediocrity but
1: yeah, there is a chance for one of them, hopefully, to establish themselves. That's it. And this is the one that I think, if Miami can win this, might put them on the right road. Uh, next up, we've got Dallas at Cleveland. We've taken Dallas across the board. Why is that, Harry?
0: Oh, poor Cleveland. Like, like, they try so hard. They really do. And they're actually, despite their record, they're probably not the worst team in the NFL. But they are bad. And they don't know how to win games. And they keep losing games. And Dallas look just really, really, really good at the moment in all three phases. So yeah like Dallas are going to win and they're probably going to win well let's be honest no of course of course Jacksonville with Kansas City we've all taken Kansas City
1: fits yeah Kansas City are good at football uh, I don't know if you're aware of this <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jacksonville not so much like Jacksonville mm. The only thing that Jacksonville have to go in their favour is that they're probably in desperation mode. They're going to throw everything at this game, but overall, based on the quality of play and the quality of the organisation, you have to believe that Kansas City will come out the win here.
1: Yeah, it's also, let's be honest, it's one of those ones, my one concern going into it would be the, if the concussion protocol is there and Smith is out. But even then, foals look decent enough and I don't have that much fear of Jacksonville, especially at home in Kansas, so... Uh, yeah, that would be fine. Philly at New York. Uh, this is one we were considering
0: for one of the picks of the week. Uh, we've all taken Philly. Why is that, Harry? Uh, basically, like despite again losing to to Dallas this week, Philly have looked pretty solid this season, and it's just very very hard to still rely on this Giants team. They're very uh, up and down, all over the place. It's one that yeah, like this probably could be a close close. This is a close enough call, I think, for all of us. We all mm-hmm. went with with Philly, but. You never know when New York are going to explode... ...but at the moment it's just very, very difficult to trust them... ...whereas Philly, look, despite having manifest problems look like a team who are just a bit more adept at dealing with them and getting the most out of their teams on, on a consistent base so I think you have to give the edge to Philly here yeah next up Carolina at Los Angeles uh, got Carolina for me
1: Carolina for Fitz seven oh nine bullshit for Harry seven nine bullshit means Carolina yeah see Carolina have looked like a, a, a lot more like the team that we were expecting them to be they're still not perfect they're still flawed but they seem to be getting stuff rolling on offense and on defense a little bit more I expect them to continue this role into form in this Game, LA. While they do surprise us sometimes, I'm not sure if they've quite got enough at this stage in the season to surprise a Carolina team that's desperate to try and pick up some wins. They are below evens, though, so they're due a win yeah. soon enough. If not this week, probably next week. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. New Orleans at San Francisco. At the, oh my God,
0: I can't defend bowl. Uh, <laughs> Harry, we've all taken New Orleans in this game. Why is that? Well, look in a battle of two. Relatively poor defenses. You have to take the team with an offense. So uh, yeah, like you to imagine, that Breeze will be able to throw all over this uh, this San Fran team, and the New Orleans will just be able to to outshoot them particularly and look, I mean as much as their defence is bad, like it looked okay against Seattle. Mm. So yeah, I, I think San Fran are gonna struggle in this one. Your biggest debate this week is whether it'll be Tim Hightower or Mark Ingram
1: will get the hundred yards against San yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Both maybe. Why not both? Uh Tennessee at San Diego, we're taking San Diego across the board fitz
2: yeah, like I think Tennessee have generally disappointed us. I think they're the kind of team that could have a solid game, but I think San Diego have consistently shown over the last few weeks that they're competitive against the best teams in the league. Tennessee aren't one of the best teams. They're one of like the middling teams. That might have a chance in but, a court. But
1: sharp.
2: Shut the fuck up, Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Our one-dimensional offense with like the running game being quite strong, but otherwise not that much ability to come back into games. San Diego, I've
1: been a good team. They've consistently shown that, and I think they should have enough to beat Tennessee. Mike Mullarkey better watch out! Fucking, they're gonna send out the targeting team to the sidelines again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Indianapolis at Green Bay. We've taken Green Bay across the board. Basically, Green Bay have looked good. Indianapolis have looked weak. Uh, I can imagine this is going to be quite one-sided, unless. Indianapolis somehow pulled together their offense a lump more than they have for the last while. Green Bay are just going to get rolling again. They looked good in the game this week. Uh, Indianapolis looked terrible. So I think that's, that balances out
0: to a Green Bay win. Uh, Harry, you've got Denver at Oakland. Yeah, this is my pick of the week. Um, we've all gone for Oakland across the board on this one. Uh, this is going to be a really interesting game. And I think at the moment, um, it, it's, 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 it's a difficult one again to call uh, here. But right now, it's quite difficult to pick against an Oakland team that keeps finding ways to win games. Particularly with Denver, while their defense is is good, their offense is still sputtering. We did see them uh, commit some sloppy turnovers last week. We saw the passing game is is very, very inconsistent with Simeon under center still. Oakland, while they have struggled at home, bizarrely this season, while being a very, very good road team... Um, look like a team that is just willing to take those kind of extra risks and do those unexpected things that works against even a top-tier defenses like Denver. They're they're an unpredictable team. They're a hard team to figure out once they actually start hitting their groove and once they actually start uh, testing Derek Carr. This is also going to be a hugely important game within the division. You've got three teams in there who are essentially just all bunched together between Denver, Oakland, and Kansas City. And this is a chance to establish that not only a one-game lead potentially in that thing for Oakland, but also... ...get a tie-break uh, situation within the division. So very, very important to do that. And when you look at like who they have to play down the rest of the schedule... ...because both these teams will actually meet again in Week 17... ...which is also going to be very, very interesting. Um, you think that getting a, a lead heading into that... ...and heading into that as the culmination of the season... You don't want to be relying on that game, so that's why it's very, very important. And I think that Oakland just have enough firepower and enough unpredictability to even against a very good Denver defense uh, find a way to to win this one.
1: Yeah, just don't turn over the ball. I think it's the main thing for them. Pretty much, well. yeah. Yeah. Um, the final game then is Buffalo at Seattle. We've taken Seattle across the board. Why is that fit? I'm surprised like no one had any question marks, or whatever here. Like I think people like like Seattle.
2: I think they've been solid. I think. They had a bad loss on the road uh, against New Orleans, but I think New Orleans have generally kind of are, are, are running into some form. Buffalo have been very inconsistent and I think it comes down to once, once why we thought they did badly against the Patriots this week. No shady McCoy makes the offense very streaky, very unable to do things. But this could be a close enough game. I think Buffalo have a good defence. But Seattle on the balance once again of form and on the quality, you probably have to take
1: Seattle at home. Do you think the Seattle secondary can handle a number one wide receiver like Robert Woods?
0: Uh, I think they may be like. This is the brilliance of it though Because Seattle are really good at shutting down number one wide receivers So if you go into the game with like five number three wide receivers (laughs) What are you going to do? Yeah The one thing to look out for is that Buffalo's defence Has looked pretty good except for
2: in that Patriots game It'll be interesting to see if they can get the Russell Wilson a lot Uh, Although the more likely trend Recently has been Russell Wilson just being a bit jittery And getting rid of it very early Yeah, uh, Which is somewhat
1: worrying for the Seahawks no, of course. Sure, we'll see now. So that'll be interesting. We didn't have very much uh, disagreement at all. Some would say we didn't disagree on any of those games, but you'd have to go back and listen to it again to figure that one out. Uh, Are
0: you ready to go? Uh, ready to go? over thirteen this week. Oh, yes, <laughs> it'll be beautiful. Um, but
1: no, that was good. So, any uh, any plans for the rest of the week yourselves? Lads? I presume you're off. You're off to London, aren't you, Fitz? Yeah, I'm doing a one-day class on sample size re-estimation in London, so that'll be interesting.
2: Uh, if you want to know more. <laughs> <laughs> Find just us on Pinterest. Uh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, statistics Pinterest. Yeah, uh, I'm. Uh, I'm off. I'm also. I'm training for the next two days in work as well. I, I forgot about it now until just today. And uh, excellent. It means I don't have to wear a suit into work tomorrow. Very <laughs> <Is>, handy. <laughs> is there any prep work you're supposed to have done? No, no. It's um. It's about financial market analysis and uh, and kind of balance of payments, international statistics stuff. Uh, <laughs> we're so cool
0: yeah I, I'm I'm also working uh, I'm going to have to be giving training next week uh, which will be fun Very mm, um, good yeah on uh, I actually can't remember what it's about <laughs> we'll find out now before I go back to work uh, I'm sure it'll be grand I don't know yeah, so nothing, nothing too exciting coming up. I don't think. I think I think need a. I think we all need a
1: quiet week, to be honest. Ah, yeah, I think we're going to pop out to the the Magnus okay. Parade is on tonight oh, in town really in Dublin. So uh, it's very good. It's, uh, for any international listeners, just uh, look up Magnus, MacNas Parade. They do. Uh, they're based out of Galway, but they do excellent big kind of puppetry parade things with giant costumes and animals, and it's it's very enjoyable. Good crack, and then we'll go for maybe an nice hour sneaky pint afterwards. Sure. Of course, of course. Sure. Why not? What time do you have to head back to Cork? Outfits.
2: Uh, I have to get up early on Wednesday so I'll probably leave early enough here fair enough
1: so. mm. no harm no harm <sighs> Oh, but yeah no, that was good so thanks very much lads uh, I suppose send in any questions anything like that you want to us on the Facebook any the pictures Twitter any of Brent Forrest Dick you can't go any around of sure. that yeah, a couple of pictures of Brett Favre dick. Harry's mad for it. Yeah. Uh, I like think it was small. a picture on the Buffalo game. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, of course. course. How did
0: we forget? Got this. That was way too big to be Brett Favre dick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I did love the... Um, did you see the, 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 the salty comments from the, uh, from the fans about it, though? Oh, both? God, no. It was like, tell, tell Tom Brady his mouthpiece fell out. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there
0: was actually another one, which was uh, 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 Mike Tunison tweeted... Uh, Oh, there's a a penis on the field and somebody tweeted back, two if you count Tom Brady. (laughs) For anyone who missed this,
1: uh, fans threw a dildo onto the field of play. Uh, We initially thought it was a very odd-looking flag and then on closer inspection, nope, just a dick. Yeah, Yeah, and I think the most amusing thing was the
2: commentators trying like, oh, that's not a flag, that's a, oh, uh... Well, it's definitely not a flag.
0: Trying to avoid saying it. It didn't look like it was thrown very far, so I'm just wondering if, like, Rob Ryan (laughs) (laughs) just—I've run out of challenge flags. (laughs) Needed a
1: better spiral I think you know. uh, <laughs> tight spiral balls
0: <laughs> Well we heard, we heard about the man ball today didn't we last night in the commentary Oh yes They're that's a, that's a man, the man ball. ball
1: Ground and pound me some man ball oh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck
2: good god So you can look forward to our testicular podcast in the off season and
1: also our numeric podcast Yeah right we'll give you the we'll give you the probabilities of all of our penises <laughs> <laughs> Every penis is unique Connor It's like a (laughs) snowflake Uh, Alright guys So it's bye from myself Bye from Harry Goodbye Bye from Roland Bye It's been all four quarters Thanks for listening We'll catch you next week